Chapter Four of the Gorilla Hunters by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adelde Pinoroles. Chapter Four, wherein will be found much that is philosophical. Having skinned the leopard and cut off as much of the buffalo meat as we could carry, we started for the Negro village at a round pace, for we had already lost much time in our last adventure. As we walked along, I could not help meditating on the uncertainty of this life, and the terrible suddenness which, which we might be at any unexpected moment cut off. These thoughts led me naturally to reflect how important a matter it is that any one, no matter how young, should be in a state of preparedness to quit this world. I also reflected, and not without a feeling of shame, on my want of nerve and was deeply impressed with the importance of boys being inured from childhood to trifling risks and light dangers of every possible description, such as tumbling into ponds and off trees, etc., in order to strengthen their nervous system. I do not, of course, mean to say that boys ought deliberately to tumble into ponds or climb trees until they fall off, but they ought not to avoid the risk of such mishaps. They ought to encounter such risks, and many others perpetually. They ought to practice leaping off heights into deep water, they ought never to hesitate to cross a stream on a narrow, unsafe plank, for fear of a ducking. They ought never to decline to climb up a tree to pull fruit merely because there is a possibility of their falling off and breaking their necks. I firmly believe that boys were intended to encounter all kinds of risks, in order to prepare them to meet and grapple with the risks and dangers incident to a man's career with cool, cautious self-possession, a self-possession founded on experimental knowledge of the character and powers of their own spirits and muscles. I also conclude that this reasoning applies to some extent to girls as well as boys, for they too are liable through life to occasional encounters with danger, such as meeting with mad bulls, being run away with on horseback, being upset in boats, being set on fire by means of crinoline, in all of which cases those who have been trained to risk slight mishaps during early life will find their nerves equal to the shock, and their minds cool and collected enough to look around and take hasty advantage of every opportunity to escape that may exist while those who have been unhappily nurtured in excessive delicacy and advised from the earliest childhood to take care of themselves and carefully avoid all risks will probably fall victims to their nervous alarms and the kind but injudicious training of parents or guardians the more i pondered this subject the more deeply impressed did i become with its great importance to the well-being of mankind and i was so profoundly engrossed with it that my companions utterly failed to engage me in general conversation as we walked briskly along through the forest jack again and again attempted to draw my attention to the splendour of the curious specimens of tropical foliage and vegetation through which we passed but i could not rouse myself to take interest therein in vain did peterkin jest and rally me and point out the monkeys that grinned at us ever and anon as we passed beneath them or the serpents that glided more than once from our path i was fascinated with my train of meditation and as i could not then give it up until i had thought it out so now i cannot pass from the subject until i have at least endeavoured to guard myself from misconception i beg then that it will be understood that i do not by any means inculcate harebrained recklessness or a course of training that will foster that state of mind on the contrary the course of training which i should like to see universally practised would naturally tend to counteract recklessness for it would enable a boy to judge correctly as to what he could and could not do take an illustration a naturally bold boy has been unwisely trained to be exceedingly careful of himself 
he does not know the extent of his own courage or the power and agility of his own muscles he knows these things to some extent indeed but owing to restraint he does not know them fully hence he is liable both to over and underestimate them this bold boy we shall call him tom takes a walk into the country with a friend whom we shall name pat pat is a bad boy but he has been permitted to train his muscles as he pleased and his natural disposition has led him to do difficult and sometimes slightly dangerous things you can't jump over that river tom says pat perhaps not replies tom i never tried such a jump because my mother tells me never to go where i am likely to tumble into the water oh your mother's a muff cries pat pat says tom flushing with indignation and confronting his friend don't you ever say that again else the friendship between you and me will come to an end i know you don't really mean what you say but i won't allow you to speak disrespectfully of my mother well i won't says pat but you're a muff anyhow perhaps i am replies tom of course you are because you're afraid to jump over that river and i'm not so here goes pat thereupon jumps the river he is a splendid leaper and tom hesitates come along tom don't be a hen tom gives way alas to a disobedient impulse and dashing at the leap comes to the edge when he finds somehow that he has not got the proper foot first for the spring almost every boy knows the feeling i allude to his heart fails and he balks oh tom what a nimini pimini muff you are to be sure tom as i have said is a bold boy his blood boils at this he rushes wildly at the bank hurls himself recklessly into the air barely reaches the opposite side of the scramble and falls south into the river from which he issues as pat says amid peals of laughter like a half-drowned rat now had tom been permitted to follow the bent of his own bold impulses he would have found out years ago how far and how high he could leap and how far exactly he could depend on his own courage in certain circumstances and he would either on the one hand have measured the leap with an accustomed eye and declined to take it with a good-humoured admission that it was beyond its powers or on the other hand he would calmly have collected his will and oft-tried energies for the spring the proper foot from long experience would have come to the ground at the right time his mind freed from all anxiety as to what he could accomplish would have received a beneficial impulse from his friend's taunt no nervous dread of a ducking would have checked the completeness of his bound because he would have often been ducked before and would have discovered that in most cases if the clothes be changed at once a ducking is not worth mentioning from a hydropathic point of view is in fact beneficial and he would have cleared the river with comfort to himself and confusion to his friend and without a ducking or the uneasiness of consciousness caused by the knowledge that he had disobeyed his mother had peterkin not been trained to encounter danger his natural boldness alone would never have enabled him to stand the charge of that buffalo bull there are muffs in this world i do not refer to those hairy articles of feminine apparel in which ladies are wont to place their hands handkerchiefs and scent bottles although not given to the use of slang i avail myself of it on this occasion the word muff being eminently expressive of a certain class of boys big as well as little old as well as young there are three distinct classes of boys namely muffs sensible fellows and boasters i say there are three distinct classes but i do not say that every boy belongs to one or other of those classes 
Those who have studied chemistry know that nature's elements are few. Nearly all kinds of matter, and certainly all varieties of mind, are composite. There are no pure and simple muffs. Most boasters have a good deal of the muff in them, and many muffs are boasters, while sensible fellows are occasionally tinged with a dash of both the bad qualities. They are, if I may be allowed to coin a word, sensible boast-a-muffers. Still, for the sake of lucidity, I will maintain that there are three distinct phases of characters in boys. The muff is a boy who from natural disposition or early training, or both, is mild, diffident, and gentle. So far he is an estimable character. Were this all, he were not a muff. In order to deserve that title, he must be timid and unenthusiastic. He must refuse to venture anything that will subject him to danger, however slight. He must be afraid of a shower of rain. Afraid of dogs in general, good and bad alike. Disinclined to try bold things. Indifferent about learning to swim. He must object to the game called dumps, because the blows from the ball are sometimes severe, and be a sworn enemy to single-stick, because the whacks are uncommonly painful. So feeling and acting he will, when he becomes a man, find himself unable to act in the common emergencies of life, to protect a lady from insolence, to guard his house from robbery, or to save his own child should it chance to fall in the water. The muff is addicted to boasting sometimes, especially when in the company of girls, but when on the playground he hangs on the skirts of society, and sings very small. There are many boys, alas, who are made muffs by injudicious training, who would have grown up to be bold, manly fellows had they been otherwise treated. There are also many kinds of muffs. Some are good-hearted, amiable muffs, others are petty, sneaking muffs. With many of the varieties I have a strong sympathy, and for their comfort I would say that muffs may cure themselves if they choose to try energetically. Courage and cowardice are not two distinct and entirely antagonistic qualities. To a great extent those qualities are the result of training. Every courageous man has a slight amount of cowardice in his composition, and all cowards have a certain infusion of courage. The matador stands before the infuriated bull and awaits its charge with unflinching firmness, not because he has more courage than his comrades in the ring who run away, but because long training has enabled him to make almost certain of killing the bull. He knows what he has done before, he feels that he can do it again, therefore he stands like a hero. Were it a doubt of his capacity to cross his mind for an instant, his cheek would blanch, his hand would tremble, and ten to one he would turn and flee like the rest. Let muffs therefore learn to swim, to leap, and to run. Let them wrestle with boys bigger than themselves, regardless of being thrown. Let them practice jinking with their companions, so that even if they be chased by a mad bull, they will, if unable to get out of his way by running, escape perhaps by jinking. Let them learn to leap off considerable heights into deep water, so that if ever called upon to leap off the end of a pier or the side of a ship to save a fellow creature, they may do so with confidence and promptitude. Let them even put on the gloves and become, regardless of a swelled nose, in order that they may be able to defend themselves or others from sudden assault. So doing they will become sensible fellows, whose character I have thus to some extent described. Of course, I think of sensible fellows only with reference to this one subject of training the nerves and muscles. Let it never be forgotten that there are men who, although sensible in this respect, are uncommonly senseless in regard to things of higher moment. As to boasters, I will dismiss them with a few words. 
they are too easily known to merit particular description they are usually loud and bold in the drawing-room but rather mild in the field they are desperately egotistical fond of exaggeration and prone to depreciate the deeds of their comrades they make bad soldiers and sailors and are usually held in contempt by others whatever they may think of themselves i may wind up this digression into which i have been tempted by an earnest desire to warn my fellow-men against the errors of nervous and muscular education which in my case led up to the weak conduct of which i had been guilty that day i may wind up this digression i say by remarking that the boys who are most loved in this world are those who are lambs almost muffs in the drawing-room but lions in the field how long i should have gone on pondering this subject i know not but peterkin somewhat rudely interrupted me by uttering a wild scream and beginning to caper as if he were a madman i was much alarmed as well as surprised at the course of conduct for although my friend is an inveterate joker he was the very reverse of what is termed a buffoon and never indulged in personally grotesque actions with a view to make people laugh such as making faces a practice which in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred causes the face-makers to look idiotical rather than funny and induces beholders to pity them and to feel very uncomfortable sensations peterkin's yells instead of ceasing continued and increased why what's wrong i cried in much alarm instead of answering peterkin darted away through the wood like a maniac tearing off his clothes as he went at the same moment jack began to roar like a bull and became similarly distracted it now flashed across me that they must have been attacked by an army of the bashakwe ant a species of ant which is so ferocious as to prove a perfect scourge to the parts of the country over which it travels the thought had scarcely occurred to me when i was painfully convinced of its accuracy the ant suddenly came to me and in an instant i was covered from head to foot by the passionate creatures which hit me so severely that i also began to scream and to tear off my garments for i had been told by the trader who accompanied us to this part of the country that this was the quickest method of getting rid of them we all three fled and soon left the army of bashakwe ants behind us undressing as we ran in the best way we could and when we at length came to a halt we found ourselves almost in a state of nudity hastily divesting ourselves of the remainder of our apparel we assisted each other to clear away the ants though we could not rid ourselves of the painful effects of the bites with which we were covered what dreadful villains gasped peterkin as he busied himself in hastily picking off the furious creatures from his person it would be curious to observe the effect of an army of soldiers stepping into an army of bashikways said jack they would be routed instantly no discipline or courage could hold them together for two minutes after they were attacked i was about to make some reply when our attention was attracted by a shout at no great distance and in a few seconds we observed to our confusion the trader and a band of negroes approaching us we hurried on our clothes as rapidly as possible and were a little more presentable when they arrived they had a good laugh at us of course and the naked blacks seemed to be much tickled with the idea that we had been compelled to divest ourselves even for a short time of what they considered our unnecessary covering we thought you were lost said the trader and i began to blame myself for letting you away into the woods where so many strangers may be encountered without a guide but what have you got there meat of some kind your guns seem to have done service on this your first expedition ay that they have answered jack we've killed a buffalo bull 
and if you send your black fellows back on our track for some hours, they'll come to the carcass, of which we could not, of course, bring very much away on our shoulders, which are not accustomed yet to heavy loads. Besides, added Peterkin, we were anxious to get back in time for your elephant hunt, else we should have brought more meat with us. But Jack has not mentioned what I consider our chief prize, the honor of shooting what belongs to my friend Ralph Rover. Come, Ralph, unfasten your pack and let them see it. Although unwilling to put off more time, I threw down my pack, and untying it, displayed my leopard skin. The shout of delight and surprise which the sight of it drew from the negroes was so enthusiastic that I at once perceived that I was considered to have secured a great prize. "'Why, Mr. Rover, you're in luck,' said the trader, examining the skin. "'It's not every day that one falls in with such a fine leopard as that. "'And you have already made a reputation as a daring hunter, "'for the niggers consider it a bold and dangerous thing to attack these critters. "'They're so uncommon fierce.' "'Indeed I do not by any means deserve such a reputation,' said I, refastening my pack. "'For the shot was entirely accidental.' "'So I pray you, good sir, to let the negroes know that, "'as I have no desire to go under a false flag, "'as my friend Peterkin would say. "'Go under a false flag?' exclaimed Peterkin, in contempt. "'Sail under false colors, man. "'That's what you should have said. "'Whatever you do, Ralph, never misquote a man. "'Go under a false flag. <laughs> "'Why, you might as well just have said, "'progress beneath assumed bunting.' "'Well, accidental or otherwise,' said the trader, you've got credit for the deed, and your fame will be spread among the tribe whether you will or not, for these fellows are such incorrigible liars themselves that they will never believe you if you tell them the shot was accidental. They will only give you credit for some strange though unknown motive of telling such a falsehood. While the trader was speaking, I observed that the negroes were talking with the eager looks and gesticulations that are peculiar to the Africans when excited and presently two or three of them came forward and asked several questions, while their eyes sparkled eagerly, and their black faces shone with animation as they pointed into the woods in the direction whence we had come. "'They want to know where you have left the carcass of the leopard, and if you have taken away the brains,' said the trader, turning to me. "'I dare say you know, if not you'll soon come to find out, that all the nigger tribes in Africa are sunk in gross and cruel superstitions.' They have more fetishes, and gregories, and amulets, and wooden gods, and charms, than they know what to do with, and have surrounded themselves with spiritual mysteries that neither themselves or anybody else can understand. Among other things, they attach a very high value to the brains of the leopard, because they imagine that he who possesses them will be rendered extraordinary bold and successful in hunting. These fellows are in the hopes that, being ignorant of the value of leopard brains, you have left them in the carcass, and are burning with anxiety to be off after them. "'Poor creatures,' said I, "'they are heartily welcome to the brains, "'and the carcass lies not more than four hours' march from this spot, I should think. "'Is it not so, Jack?' "'My friend nodded assent, and the trader, "'turning to the expectant crowd of natives, "'gave them the information they desired. "'No sooner had he finished than with loud cries they turned and darted away, "'tossing their arms wildly in the air, "'and looking more like to a band of scared monkeys than to human beings.' "'They're queer fellows,' remarked Peterkin. "'So they are,' replied the trader, "'and they're kindly fellows, too, "'jovial and good-humoured, "'except when under the influence "'of their abominable superstitions. "'Then they become incarnate fiends, 
and commit deeds of cruelty that make one's blood run cold to think of. I felt much saddened by these remarks, and asked the trader if the missionaries accomplished any good among them. Oh, yes, he replied, they do much good, such of them at least as are really missionaries, for it does not follow that every one who wears a black coat and a white neckcloth and goes abroad is a missionary. But what can a few men scattered along the coast and here and there, however earnest they be, do among the thousands upon thousands of savages that wander about in the interior of Africa? No good will ever be done in this land, to every great extent, until traders and missionaries go hand in hand into the interior, and the system of trade is entirely remodeled. From what you remark, said I, feeling much interested, I should suppose that you have given this subject a good deal of attention. I have, but there are people in this world who, supposing that because I am a trader I am therefore prone to exalt trade to inequality with religion, do not give me credit for disinterestedness when I speak. Perhaps you are one of these. Not I, in truth, said I, earnestly. My chief desire in conversing with mankind is to acquire knowledge. I therefore listen with attention and respect to the opinions of others, instead of endeavouring to assert my own. In the present instance, being ignorant, I have no opinions to assert. I wish there were more people in your country, replied the trader, who felt as you do. I would tell them that, although a traitor, I regard the salvation of men's souls as the most important work in this world. I would argue that until you get men to listen, you cannot preach the gospel to them, that the present system of trade in Africa is in itself antagonistic to religion, being based upon dishonesty, and that therefore the natives will not listen to missionaries. Of course, in some cases they will, for I believe that the gospel, when truly preached, is never preached in vain, but they will throw every possible impediment in their way. I would tell them that in order to make the path of the missionary practicable, the system of trade must be inverted, the trader and the missionary must go hand in hand, and commerce and religion, although incomparably different in their nature and ends, must act the part of brother and sister if anything great is to be done for the poor natives of Africa. Conversing thus, we beguiled the time pleasantly while we proceeded rapidly on our way, for the day was drawing to a close, and we were still at a considerable distance from the native village. End of chapter 4. Recording by Adelda Pinuroles.